Welcome to Eurodollar Dollar University with Jeff Snyder. My name is Emil Kalinowski. Today we're going to be talking about the Federal Reserve and imminent rate hikes. It's a good thing we'll be talking about that because Jeff Snyder, the head of global research at Alhambra Partners, posted a blog post about that very topic. And the title was, The Rate Hikers Are Not Serious People. Jeff, are you saying that the Federal Reserve is not a central bank? That it doesn't do money? That its non-money monetary policies are little more than pop psychology conveyed via an increasingly stale puppet show? I know that's what you're saying, but the audience will be stunned to learn that so is Janet Yellen. Yeah, it's amazing, right? If we think about, you know, it's one thing if I say those things and say it's nothing more than a puppet show. There's no money in monetary policy. It's, it's all for the benefit of the psychology of consumers and businesses and stock market investors and all sorts of other things. It's one thing for me to say it. I think it'd be another thing for if you, let's let's hear it from the horse's mouth. There's a joke there, Jeff, <laughs> but we're on a tight timeline. So we'll just go on. Yeah. We'll go back to April 2013. We'll skip the low hanging fruit. <laughs> where Miss Vice Chairman of the Fed, Miss Yellen, said the following, quote, the crucial insight of that research was that what happens to the federal funds rate today, or over the six weeks until the next FOMC meeting, is relatively unimportant. What is important is the public's expectation of how the FOMC will use the federal funds rate to influence economic conditions over the next few years. And following up, Jeff, quote, let's pause here and note what this moment represented. For the first time, the committee was using communication, mere words, as its primary monetary policy tool. Until then, it was probably common to think of communication about future policy as something that supplemented the setting of the federal funds rate. In this case, communication was an independent and effective tool for influencing the economy. The FOMC had journeyed from never explain to a point where sometimes the explanation is the policy. <laughs> sometimes, no, that's the thing. You know, I mean, she was specifically referring to the dot-com recession during her speech there. But ever since then, the policy has evolved so that it's not sometimes communication is the policy. It's every time explanation is the policy. And here everybody probably thought this was about money, right? The doctrine that she was referring to when she said never explain, the old doctrine, the old way of doing central banking is something that a Bank of England governor, Montague Norman, said a very long time ago when he said the Bank of England never explain. You don't need to explain. Why would you need to explain? You've got this printing press. You've got currency at your disposal at the flip of a switch. You don't need to tell the public what you're doing. If there's a shortage of money, you supply the money. The public doesn't need to know in some grand announcement that you've done so because the system will get what exactly it's demanding. And the, consequently, if you know if you're in an inflationary condition, there's too much private currency out there in the system, start taking it back, putting it away and locking it away in your vault in, in the city of London. You don't need to explain. You just need to remove currency from the system. And there's no reason to make it's a big announcement because the monetary system itself changes in accordance with monetary policy. So what Janet Yellen was explaining in 2013, just before the Federal Reserve got in, go into, went into its, you know, its tapering of QE3 and QE4 that year, what she was saying is that, look, it's not about money printing. It's not about money at all. This is not really monetary policy. It's about 
psychology. So even the something so simple and straightforward as the federal funds rate and the federal funds target and monetary policy related to, to raising and lowering interest rates isn't even about interest rates. It's not about making money more expensive. It's not about making money cheaper or anything like that. It's about signaling to the public that the central bank is doing something. And that something is whatever the central bank tells you it is. And if you believe in the fairy tale, if you believe in the uh, the myth that the central bank has got everything under control in terms of money and economy, then you'll act in accordance with those signals. It won't matter what actually happens. It won't matter that the federal funds rate doesn't really mean much to anybody. If it means a lot to you or as, as a consumer or as a business owner, then they really believe that's all it takes. A little bit of self-fulfilling prophecy and the most optimal outcomes will result. Notice how we transition from never explain because you don't need to, to never explain because you don't want to. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's probably the best way to put it, right? And Jeff, you just said that they don't believe. Well, I guess... I think these narrative policies would have worked because everything seemed to be going so smoothly during the great moderation. And so they started to believe in their own magic. But this was by 2013. And I think you could still, okay, you know, we could believe that we just got past this, these kind of two potholes, the global financial crisis, the European sovereign debt crisis. And now we're going to get back to the way it always was. But that was eight years ago, I think, Jeff. That's almost a decade. Surely they don't believe that anymore. The reason we're talking about all this is because the Federal Reserve is about to start hiking rates again. That's what they've been telling via communication policy. Now it's Jay Powell's turn. Do they believe that just the communication will do the magic? Absolutely. You know, and we talked about this with taper because taper is the same thing as hiking rates. You know, it's not about whether or not there's actually these, the correct amount of mon money in the entire global system. It's about whether or not they want you to believe something needs to change and whether or not the policy excites popular opinion, whether their policy communication leads to changes in behavior or the way the public in, at large is meant to think about really big economic variables like inflation. So even today, yes, absolutely. Experience has, has, hasn't changed anyone's mind. I mean, we talk about this, we talk about it a lot, you know, the 2018-2019 experience or the 2018-2019 case when the Fed was once again raising rates, doing so for psychological reasons, and it didn't really work out so well that time either. But when you're in this kind of a situation where you're a central bank, you know, again, under Montague Norman, the Bank of England didn't need to explain because it did actual monetary policy. The Fed doesn't do monetary policy. They don't do money. They wouldn't even know how to do money. So it's kind of like it's we do the psychology stuff or we do the psychology stuff. What else can we possibly do? It's really that simple. Nothing. Do nothing. <laughs> can they just do nothing, Jeff? Because, okay, right now, interest rates are going you to mean be... Shut off the lights, lock the doors, and shut down the Fed? Because that's, I mean, those are the choice. If you're, if you're at the Fed... That's your choice. Do we do something, even though it's ridiculous and absurd, or do we do nothing? And do we just say, hey, you don't really need the Fed anymore because it doesn't really do anything anyway? Jeff, why are they raising rates right now? I presume if we turned on our financial media, that the financial media would be telling us it's because inflation is very high. Consumer prices are very high. And therefore, as was the case throughout all of history, what we need is to wring out the excesses 
of either a booming economy or there's too much money in the system, which has caused these consumer price increases. Is that why they're going to be increasing rates right now? No, again, what their position is, is that last year was about a supply demand imbalance. And so that created an acceleration of consumer prices that obviously everybody knows, everybody feels. That's not their problem. That's not what they're concerned about. If that's all it was, I think the Fed would be content to stay where they are. But what they're doing now is saying, well, these consumer prices, supply shock has dragged on now over to a full year. It's in danger of creating this psychological feedback loop where consumers expect and anticipate consumer prices to continue to rise for whatever reason. doesn't really matter at this point in the Fed's view. And if consumers start to begin to expect it, it's almost as if the Fed was telling them to expect inflation. It's almost as if consumer prices are acting in the way that the Fed wanted QE to work all those years ago. And so what they're saying is the psychology has changed or the psychology is in danger of being changed where inflation expectations unanchor, to use their own terminology. And once consumers start to begin expecting these are permanent increases in consumer prices, they'll start acting. And pretty soon, if consumers believe and act, they will become permanent increases in acceleration. So how do you stop that? How do you stop psychology? You fight psychology with psychology, right? That's pretty much the answer. So what are they thinking right now, Jeff? They're thinking we're going to start raising rates by a quarter of a percent or maybe half a percent, maybe a whole percent up, up, up until what happens until the U S economy falls into recession until consumer prices moderate to some lower level. If the consumer price increases are being caused by fires in Japanese semiconductor manufacturers for automobiles or invasion of wheat producing nations or what else? Zero COVID lockdown, random COVID policies in China. If that's what's causing these consumer price increases, what are quarter of a basis of, 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 of a percent going to do to change those, those causes of these consumer price increases? Absolutely, positively nothing, right? It's not like rate hikes can get the American economy to pump more shale oil, right? that's really the primary problem here is is oil prices and gasoline. And so rate hikes aren't going to do anything about the underlying cause. And I think if you made the Hmm. FOMC answer the question, honestly, they would say, yeah, that's not really the point here. In fact, what's really going on is, again, psychology. If you believe in these rate hikes, going back to what Janet Yellen says, if you believe in the communication, what you're supposed to expect is, oh, I was worried about gasoline prices. I don't really know how it works, but the Fed is on it. The Fed has said, we're going to take care of it. And the way that I know the Fed has said they're going to take care of it is because they're raising the federal funds target. I don't know what that means. I don't even care about how far they go or how many times they do it. I just feel warm and fuzzy that our best and brightest economists are over there in Washington taking care of these major economic factors for me. And so I won't get concerned about consumer prices in a 1970s style inflation regime because the Fed is doing something. They're communicating that we're on it. We're going to take care of it. And as long as I don't think too much about it, like, as you just said, how is the Fed going to fix a shortage of semiconductor chips? Then everything will be all right because consumer expectations will not unanchor. We'll all be happy that the Fed has got our back here 
And however many rate hikes it takes to do it, I'm okay with it because Jay Powell has said, we're going to take care of it for you. Don't worry about it. I was going to ask you, because we're recording this today on Friday, March 11th, 2022, if the rate hikes were going to change the 200 items that Russia is now going to ban and export of, you know, reduce the supply of these items, including telecommunications equipment, medical equipment, vehicles, agriculture, timber, timber products. But you're saying, no, the Fed's not going to have any impact on that. I was going to ask you, Jeff, whether or not commodity trading houses were now going to psychologically feel better in holding Russian stocks of any number of metals, such as, gosh, I don't know, gold, silver, platinum, copper, lead, zinc, nickel, bauxite, vandium, cobalt, boron, tin, phosphate, salt, gypsum, sulfur, molybdenum, iron ore, each of which Russia is a top 10 world producer in. But you're also saying maybe not big change. It's all just psychological show, which Janet Yellen told us about eight years ago. You don't need to listen to Jeff Snyder to get that message. No, I was just going to say it's amazing that, you know, as I say, you never have to take my word for any of these things or take Emil's word for any of these things, because if you do enough work, you do enough research, what you'll find is that policymakers, whether it be in speeches or scholarship or private discussions, they'll tell you all of these things that we're telling you in public. Any number of examples where, I mean, like we went over not too long ago, where we went through the FOMC transcript for the December 2013 policy meeting where they discussed taper. And they didn't use the word money once, or it was only a couple of times and they never used it in terms of money supply. This is not monetary policy as most people are led to believe it is. It's all about smoke and mirrors. It's all about a puppet show. It's all about for public consumption. And so as long as people, you know, and that's really the biggest problem here is that, you know, people may want to believe in this idealistic technocracy where, you know, at the push of a button, they could fix all the world's ills. But, you know, in very real world practical senses, it doesn't matter. I mean, 2008 is a perfect example. While the Federal Reserve entered the 2008 crisis believing in the psychology bullshit, pardon my language. We needed a real monetary solution, you know, so there are times when you can, you know, during the great moderation, they might have been able to get away with the psychology stuff and say, hey, this seems to work well. But at some point, push comes to shove. It's put up or shut up. And the Fed is still talking all these years later, even though it hasn't worked. And I think it goes back to, Emil, what you what the question you asked, what do they do? Do they try something else? Do they admit they've been wrong all this time? Do they say, hey, you know, this is all psychology? What is it the Fed can do at this point? And then, the, you know, the other part of this is that there are still true believers at the Fed. There are still those who think this, you know, it doesn't work as well as we think, but at least it works well enough that it saves a bunch of jobs, right? We've heard that all, you know, ever since the 2008 crisis too, that, well, you know, it didn't get worse. As bad as it might have gotten, it maybe it didn't get any worse. And so there is some value to doing all of these programs too. Tell me what you think of this thesis. The Federal Reserve will be hiking rates knowing that none of this really is going to stop inflation. But because the U.S. economy is on one foot leaning off to the side, it doesn't look too good, Jeff. I think that we're heading towards an economic downturn and therefore the Fed will be able to claim power to say, look at what we did. We raised rates. We control the economy. We put it into recession, just like Mr. Paul Volcker did. And now inflation rates, consumer prices are lower. Look at how powerful we are, even though I think we are on a trajectory 
anyways towards something ugly, some sort of economic downturn, just like what we're seeing being, you know, the message we were seeing from Euro dollar futures and the treasury yield curve. So I think that might be their end game to say, <laughs> we still control the economy and they're just going to fall ass backwards into a recession that they're going to claim they caused on purpose. I think you're giving them way, way too much credit because I really believe by whether it's speech or whether it's action, they actually believe the economy is doing really well and that it can survive whatever implementation of policy that they have. I think they'll like the Paul Volcker Fed. They will be absolutely shocked and dismayed that they actually that if there is a recession, that that's the outcome that we end up with, because I don't think at all. At the current moment, policymakers are that pessimistic about the situation. I think they think, hmm, remember, government stimulus is supposed to have a positive multiplier. And we did all that government spending last year, all those government transfers. And as far as the econometric models are concerned, that's still having a tremendously positive effect. So I don't know. I mean, maybe they are a bunch of masterminds and geniuses. I <laughs> History, in my read of their history, tends to suggest the opposite that these are like the Keystone cops that are just running around from one, trying to put out one fire after another and never being successful and convincing themselves that the whole world didn't blow up. Though, so they must have been at least somewhat positive. Speaking of a recession, one of the Twitterati that follows you posted a question. I wanted to post it to you right now. It was about, let's see, it was on the 10th of March and it from, came from at Yasser Safar. And here's the question to you, Jeff. Is there any reason why a euro dollar curve inversion is better at predicting recessions than a treasury curve inversion? Aren't treasury yields closer to implied expectations of policy path? Or could we say the former is better at predicting rest of world trouble? One word answers only, Jeff. One word answers. <laughs> I don't know if I can do it in one word because I've just used up a button. I know, I know. No, I think that it's a really good question, but I think the answer is that, you know, the treasury yield curve, especially the long end of the yield curve, is more of this nebulous macroeconomic growth and inflation expectations regime. And so there's a little bit more wiggle room there, whereas euro dollar futures are specifically tied to three-month LIBOR and therefore a short-run money rate. So if there's any sort of deflationary potential you would expect that to be priced directly, explicitly in three months LIBOR, whereas in long-term bond yields, it's sort of, okay, what are the implications? What are the long-run changes to uh, potential and things like that? So Eurodollar futures may have somewhat of an advantage, although I don't know if it's that much of a, it's, it's certainly not something you could quantify or that much, or that big of a difference. But I think if you were to pick one or the other, you couldn't use both. I would look at Eurodollar futures first. Wow. Wow. You just said deflationary potential. That's another kind of question that we often get, uh, not so much in the form of a question, but uh, as an accusation. Jeff, should we be saying disinflation more often? Because in, on Twitter, people will say that you don't know what you're talking about and that I don't know what I'm talking about because we haven't had deflation. So whenever we talk about the a deflationary potential, deflationary shock, what do you mean? with that? Or should we have we been saying disinflationary and slowing economy? Well, we have to remember that this is a complex global system. And so when we say deflation, you're right. You know, and people are right. We, maybe we're a little too cavalier with our use of the term, but that doesn't mean it doesn't happen. In fact, you know, deflation actually has happened around the world at these various times where dollars become very scarce and very tight, collateral, whatever else. 
Not only do we see it in markets, but we also see it in actual consumer prices. Think about Europe. Think about Japan. Right. Think about specific times, even in the United States, where the, we did get some a little tiny bit of deflation. And I think the problem is many people associate the word deflation with 1930, 31, and 32. And so if, if consumer and producer and wholesale prices don't collapse and just utterly crater, then it can't be deflation. And I think that's just too much of an extreme. And also they associate it just with consumer prices. But as you were saying, we can talk about asset prices, about the economy itself, no longer inflating, expanding, but experiencing these shocks, these pauses. And not just the U.S. Yes. either. It's other places around the rest of the world. So maybe it's disinflation in the U.S., but you look over to Europe, for example, and there's actually outright deflation there. Japan, of course, the most famous case where they've been in deflation for a very long time, and it doesn't look like they're going to get out of it anytime soon. So outright deflation does happen. It's not 1930 style deflation, but it is not what we want to see. And monetary deflation, this drag on economic growth and financial market function, it's the worst of the worst case. All right, Jeff, thank you very much. Let's do this again soon. All right, take care. 